Who likes new things? Okay, David likes new things. The rest of you, I know you like new things. You just don't want to put your hands up now that the children have left. Um, Does anyone, and this is a little bit revealing, I'm not expecting you to put your hand up seriously at this point, but does anyone like to keep new things new? Let me just confess, I, I tend to like keeping a spare set of new shoes. I know this is going to make me seem a little bit weird, but I love new shoes, okay? And I love them particularly when they're new. I seem to have passed this slight strange thing onto our children as well. They love keeping their trainers new. Um, I love the smell of new shoes. I love the look of new shoes. And when they're in the box, they're perfect, aren't they? And they're like a little bit of life. If all else is chaos, at least I have a perfect pair of shoes. I've recently got some new cycling shoes. And I was most disappointed when I wore them on my bike and I couldn't avoid getting splashes on them. Because they weren't perfect anymore. Do any of you go so far as not leaving the house in your new shoes? I don't expect you to say yes. Some of you are thinking I'm really weird now. On a scale of 0 to 10, how much of a perfectionist are you when it comes to new things? Just rate that in your mind. How about cars? It might not be shoes for you, but maybe it's cars. I've noticed, and down our street, it's very interesting to watch this take place. But you'll see the houses that love to keep their cars looking brand new. You have the avid car cleaners. And you may say that it's because you want to keep your car clean on behalf of the passengers. That's nice of you to say that. But it's probably not the truth, is it? You might say you like to keep it clean because it's more fuel efficient if a car is clean. And that also is true, but that's not really why you like to keep your car clean, is it? It's actually because life feels better when we're surrounded by perfect things. And in life's chaos, if we can have a clean car inside and out... Everything feels a little bit better. How about the kids? Please don't think I'm mad. I'm not suggesting that your kids can behave themselves perfectly. I I mean, just look at their parents. They can't keep it together for more than a day, can they? What I mean is that I think all parents long for that time. Maybe it's when you go out for a special meal. Maybe it's just that hour and a half at a wedding where you want the kids to not embarrass you. You just want the kids, I remember my mum saying to me, please be as good as gold. Most of the time I couldn't do it. You dress them smart. You go out and all the people are watching. And you just want the kids to behave themselves. Parents are pleading, please, 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 just this once can you do it. Just for an hour and a half, don't embarrass me. You might remember this song from 1988, if you were around then. Song by Fairground Attraction. It's got to be perfect. 
It's got to be worth it. Yeah. Too many people take second best. Well, I won't take anything less. It's got to be. Yeah. Perfect. That's my attempt at singing. It's a song about love, but doesn't it sum up so much of life? So much of what we desire. Now, we desire it in the little controllable areas of life. But quite often, what we want is it in more than just the car and the shoes and the kids. And have you ever thought, why? Why do we want life to be perfect? Why do we want the car to be clean, the shoes to be new, and the kids behaving themselves in public? Well, the best answer I can find is the answer that the Bible gives. It's because we know we have something to hide. Ever since Adam and Eve said, shove off God, I'm in charge, no to your rule, sin has been our biggest problem. And with sin comes guilt. Sin is our rebellion against God's right rule over our lives. He's our creator, he's our sustainer, and yet we rebel, thinking that we know best. And we do this in ways that we're aware of, which we call sins of commission. But we do it in ways that we're not aware of, which we call sins of omission. And both bring guilt. Now, the book of Hebrews that we're talking about today is all about how to find forgiveness of sin and how to find freedom from that guilt. And, of course, the answer is Jesus. It's either you standing in front of God in imperfection or Jesus standing in front of God in perfection in your place. Now, this letter of Hebrews was written to people on the edge of a really big decision. Who should they rely on? Jewish practices were were creeping back into the Christian church. The people at that time were saying things like, yes, we trust in Jesus, but shouldn't we sacrifice like we did in the Old Testament? Or, yes, we trust in Jesus, that makes us right before God, but wouldn't it be really good to have a special place like the temple so that we know God approves of us? I don't think we're too different nowadays. If we're Christians or not, we love to add things to life to make us feel better about ourselves. Isn't that what's really behind the clean car? I know I've got much to hide from people because of my sin, but if my car is clean at least people will see that I have one area of my life that's sorted. How about the kids? The rest of life may be falling apart, but if I can go to a restaurant and they can just behave themselves for an hour and a half, I feel like I haven't got such a lot to hide. And this passage in Hebrews puts forward someone better by far. And it does that by making four quick points. Firstly, it puts forward the imperfect. And we see that in verses 1 to 4. Do you see in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, sorry, chapter 10, verse 1, it says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. It says that it's a shadow. The law was a shadow. 
It's not the real thing. It's an imperfect outline of the real thing. If you look at the picture behind me, you'll see a shadow there. Now, a shadow has to have something real that casts the shadow, doesn't it? The writer says the sacrifices that the Jews used to practice cannot make those who are worshipping perfect through them. Look at the second half of verse 1. For this reason, because it's a shadow, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. The writer says the sacrifices can't make those who are worshipping perfect through them. It's a shadow. It's imperfect. I just want you to imagine trying to have a relationship with someone's shadow rather than the real thing. So imagine me and Joanna, my wife, but I become obsessed instead with her shadow. I talk to her shadow. I want to take her shadow out for a meal. I want to spend time with her shadow. I'm happy if her shadow is sat next to me in the evening, but I'm not that bothered about her being around. She could stand at the end of the garden towards the end of the day. As long as her shadow is cast into the house, I'm perfectly all right. You'd think I'm even more mad than you did about the perfect shoes, wouldn't you? You see, it's ridiculous to think that if the shadow is cast by someone who's real, that we would want the relationship with the shadow. It's silly. That's why in in verse 2, because the law was a shadow, it should make our eye go along the shadow to the real. That's what we see in verse 2. That's why in verse 2, the sacrifices never stopped. Look at verse 2. Otherwise, they would not have stopped being offered. That's the sacrifices. For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sin. If the shadow was the real thing, there's no need to repeat it again and again and again and again and again. The sacrifices never stopped because they never found the one casting the shadow. But as we're going to learn, they have now found that one. So picture the scene that's painted in Leviticus 4. You can go back and read Leviticus 4 and see this scene. God is a holy God. He's different and he's right in all he does. Yet he makes a way to live with his people by turning away their sin through someone else paying. And it involves a priest. So the priest must first bring a sacrifice into the tent of meeting for their own sin. And the priest is to bring a bull. The hand of the priest goes on the head of the bull. And that's a sign that his sin is transferring from him onto the bull. The priest then kills the bull and collects its blood. It's a very graphic, very gory account. He collects the blood and he sprinkles the blood on the altar. And it's the altar where God and man can meet. And they can't meet until there's blood on the altar. And that blood signifies that the bull has paid the price for the priest's sin. 
It's like the priest saying, this blood should be my blood. This life should be my life. The bull pays what I should pay. And some of the bull is burnt outside the tent, and some of the bull is burnt inside the tent. And the sin of the priest is dealt with. Once the sin of the priest is dealt with, he can then act on behalf of the guilty people. So the people, they take a lamb, and it's got to be a year old, and it's got to have no defect, only the best. The hands of the family members, like the bull, are placed onto the head of the lamb. And its its throat is cut, the blood spills out, and again the blood of the lamb is taken and put on the altar so that the people's sins can be forgiven. But the system only works in one direction. It only works on the past sins. So you can be forgiven, you can stand before God, but it's a temporary measure. It deals with everything in the past. Hebrews 10 verse 3, let's look at that. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. So the shadow of the sacrificial system was meant to say that yes, your sin needs to be dealt with. But it was imperfect because it can only forgive the sins of the past. It reminds you that God is holy. It reminds you that you are sinful. And as verse 4 says... It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So, it's imperfect. It's a shadow. But, do you see, a shadow is only cast by something real. So, what's the reality? Well, that's our second point. The reality, the real... The real that that the writer of Hebrews is putting in front of these people that were considering going to another way of adding to the Lord Jesus. He says this, verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he replaces the old sacrificial system. Now, you explain the sacrificial system to people as I have just done, and a lot of people say this common question, why is God so into blood? All these sacrifices, that's a bit gruesome, isn't it? Well, yes, it is gruesome, but it was not the sacrifices that God loved, but they were necessary. So let me illustrate it this way. I don't even like this picture. So I'm just adding to my weirdness this morning, aren't I? I I don't like teeth brushing. I can handle the word teeth, but you know the thing that you put on the toothbrush? I don't like that word at all. And I don't like looking at people who are brushing their teeth. One of our children has this horrible habit of leaving it a little bit too late to leave in the morning. They walk around the house brushing their teeth, grosses me out, but not only that, but they will proceed to talk to me with a mouthful of that word I don't like to say. And once someone put it in the bottom of my sleeping bag on a youth camp, bad day, bad day. I don't like toothbrushing, but I would rather do it than not do it. I don't like it, but I do it. I would rather brush my teeth than replace them. 
seems sensible to me. And I insist that my kids brush their teeth. I sometimes hear, oh, Dad, do we have to? And I have to say, yes. I also sometimes hear, you are always telling us to brush our teeth. You are so into toothbrushing. I'm not into toothbrushing. But I am into protecting the kids from their teeth falling out. In the same way, the sacrifices that were demanded were not because God is into blood any more than I'm into teeth brushing. But they are necessary for the goal of the sacrifice. They're necessary so that God and man to be friends. It's better to sacrifice a bull than it is to die in God's presence because he's a holy God. And this thought is dominant in this section. Verse 6, look at, look at verse 6. It says, with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Well, what it literally means is that the sacrifice is not what God desired. He doesn't desire sacrifice. He desires his people. But Jesus has come to do God's will. And verse 9 says this, then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will. And God's will, as we'll see in verse 10, is to replace the sacrifice. Look at verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus is worth you meeting with God. The old sacrificial system was worth it so that men and women can meet with God. But even better, us that live now past the cross. Because Jesus' sacrifice is better by far. You see, that's why we played enough and never enough. You see, you can clean a window and you have to do it again. You can eat, but you have to do it again. You can go to the toilet, but you have to do it again. It's never enough. We know that some things, though, are enough. You're born once. That's enough. The mothers are very pleased about that. The sacrifice of Jesus is once for all. He's enough. And the big news here is that the new way to be right with God is through Jesus. His death on the cross is the ultimate big news. It replaces the old system with something better by far. If the old system was the shadow, Jesus is the reality. The old system had to be repeated. Jesus' death is once for all. It makes his people holy. It makes them right before him. They never had to repeat it again. It's sufficient. It's sufficient for the past. It's sufficient for the present. And it is sufficient for the future. And it is perfect. Now, I've not been sitting down much at home. In October, I somewhat rashly decided to redesign the garden. I just went out with a spade one day and started digging it up, not realizing it would take me until now to get anywhere near finishing it. 
I've moved a load of earth from one part of the garden to another. Every spare moment of light from October to now has been spent digging and carting earth. On Tuesday, very excited. I'm taking the day off work. I'm going to hire a roller and I'm going to get it done. And then one day, the sun will come out. And I'll be able to sit in our garden enjoying the work. And that's the picture that we have of Christ's finished work on the cross. Look at verse 14. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being holy. Look, verse 11 says the priest never sat down. Day after day every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. The priest never sat down because the work was never done. He repeats them because they can never take away sin. They act in the past, not in the future. But look what happens when Christ offers his sacrifice in verse 12. But when this priest, that's the Lord Jesus, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down. At the right hand of God. And he sat down because his work was finished. He sits and he waits. Not because he's tired. But because it's finished. People have been coming around our house and standing at the back window. And just saying, what are you doing? Because there's just been a mud bath out there with lumpy terrain. And it just looks an absolute mess. But there is a day coming. When they can come and they can join me and we can sit together and enjoy the finished garden. Even more so, you and I, if we know the Lord Jesus, can sit and enjoy his finished work. Look at verse 14 again. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. Jesus is already sat because the work is already done. We don't need a priest anymore to offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. To spill blood after blood after blood after blood. To pay for our sins of the past. We have one who sat there already. And it's a finished work already. And one day we can sit with him. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus' death on the cross is enough of a sacrifice to pay for your sin in the past, to pay for your sin in the present, and even to pay for your sin going into the future. Let me just explain that for a minute. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life. He never did anything wrong. And his perfect life is enough to pay for all my sin in the past. Now, the sacrifice of a lamb could do that as well, but here's the better part. Because Jesus was perfect, his death can pay for my sin in the past, in the present, and into the future. His sacrifice is worthy of the past. It's worthy of the present. It's worthy of the future. Just as the family members would lay their hands on the lamb before it was sacrificed. Now what we can do 
is we can ask the Lord Jesus to bear our sin. And that's as simple as asking him to take it. We naturally bear it ourselves. We naturally trust in ourselves. But because of Jesus, we can say, I know that you're perfect. I know that you died in my place. Please take my sin. I give it to you. Please pay for that in the past, my sins of the past. Please pay for my sin in the present. And please pay for my sin into the future. And how does that change life? What, what does that do? Does that just mean you come to church lots? Well, no, it, it means an awful lot more than that. Because finally, we'll see the unnecessary. Look at verses 15 to 18 with me. You see, Jesus' sacrifice changes everything. He sits down because the work is finished, and so is the old sacrificial system. That's finished as well. Look at verse 18. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So these Jewish Christians that attempted to go back to the old system, they don't need to. And the same is true for us today. Those who are made perfect by Christ's sacrifice do not need to go back to anything else to make us right before God. The only way to be right before God is Christ. So we don't become more holy by doing more. We don't become more holy by coming to church more if we think that that is how we earn it before God. You can Come to church more, hear more of the Lord Jesus, put more of your trust in him and change more. I can explain that more to you afterwards. But we don't become more holy by doing more. That's a crucial part of verse 18. Where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. The Holy Spirit shows us that we've been forgiven. Sacrifices for sin are no longer necessary. So going to church lots can't do it. Wanting to be well thought of by other people can't doing it. Hiding the parts of your life that you're embarrassed about just won't do it. The only way to be right before God is through Christ. It's the only sacrifice where the priest who offers it sits down. It's done, past tense. But the sacrifice deals with the past, it deals with the present, and it deals with the future. So, as we thought about at the start, wanting aspects of your life to be perfect is just like the old sacrificial system. It's never enough. You can have clean shoes, but then you want the car to be clean. You can have clean shoes and a clean car, but then you want the kids to behave themselves. You can have clean shoes, apparently, clean car and... The kids can behave themselves, but still it's never enough. I don't know if you've seen The Greatest Showman. I found this, this song piercing, and it, it speaks about far more than, than Barnum wanting lots of money and lots of fame. I think it also speaks to us of us wanting our lives to be perfect. Listen to these words. All the shine of a thousand spotlights. All the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world. But it'll never be enough. Never be enough. 
the writer to Hebrews offers something different. In fact, someone different. He offers Jesus. The one who is the reality of the shadow of the sacrificial system. The one who is right and he alone can make us holy. The one who brings perfection forever if he stands in our place. The one who changes our future so that we don't need to be bound by the little things in life to make us feel good and try to cover over our shame. So do you want him? Do you know him? The Hebrews faced this choice. Their choice was stand in reliance on Jesus or stand in reliance in the old system. If we know Jesus... Our encouragement is to gaze upon his perfection and not to slip back to reliance on anything else. If we don't know Jesus, our challenge is to consider his perfection. Hold that up against what you normally rely on and consider if you want to change allegiance to Jesus. Do you want to keep relying on yourself or do you want to change your allegiance and and rely on on Jesus now I'll be just down here at the front at the end please come and speak to me if you want to change allegiance or if you have anything that you want to ask questions about but also if you feel that you're somewhere in between the two you'd like to consider this sacrifice of Jesus but you're not just quite sure what it's all about it it all sounds very confusing well can I suggest that you sign up for the king and I course it's a place where you can bring all those questions you can investigate more about the Lord Jesus that course is starting on the 30th of April let me pray for us now father God we thank you for the time that we live in we thank you that we live after uh, those Jews of old that had to go to a temple or had to go to a tent And had to bring an animal to stand in their place so they could be forgiven. Thank you that we don't have to know the futility of that repeated sacrifice again and again and again. So that we can be your friends. Thank you that we live after the Lord Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. Thank you that he is seated now in heaven. Everything is finished, everything is done. And we can enjoy. And Father, please... Uh, If we don't know you, please uh, would you show us how brilliant the Lord Jesus is that we might change allegiance and back him. And if we do know him, then Father, please shine more of his perfection into our lives so that we stop relying on the little things of life to make life feel good and to cover over our shame. But more and more we rely solely on him, I pray. Amen.